message is, Behold, He Comes, Part 1. What about Part 2, Pastor? you got to come next Sunday to get that. Behold, He Comes, Part 1. For our scripture reading, we're just going to be looking at verse 1 of Malachi chapter 3. Although I'll make reference, particularly next week, to the other verses leading up to verse 6. Malachi the prophet, speaking to the nation of Israel, perhaps speaking to the United States of America, speaking to the church of his day, perhaps speaking to our church today, tells of an event that was coming. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, saith the Lord. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Malachi was a prophet. Prophets are not self-appointed or self-named as today. Prophets are not called by a church. They're not called by a denomination. They're not called by a religion. Prophets are called by God. And God commissions them in that calling with a specific message to bring to a nation or to a people at a specific time. Malachi was a prophet. His ministry, like all prophets' ministry, was twofold. First of all, his ministry, as we've already seen leading up to Malachi 3, was a ministry of forth-telling. The prophet would look back, he would look around, and he would speak a message from God on things of the past or things of the present. That's called foretelling. And Malachi's done that in chapter 1 and 2. But Malachi also had, as a prophet, a ministry of foretelling. A ministry where he would look ahead and he would speak of things that are yet to come, future things that the nation and the people need to understand and prepare themselves for. And what Malachi says in chapter 3, verse 1, to the nation of Israel, to the people of that day, is a message of the future. God is going one day to send a messenger to you. And this messenger is going to have a message for you. And his message is going to be a message of introduction to the Messiah that's coming behind him. One day, Israel, one day, people of God, the messenger is coming.
and the Messiah will come after him. Now we know that the messenger Malachi is speaking of is John the Baptist. And we know the Messiah he's speaking of is the Lord Jesus Christ. When John comes, he will make a way for the king to come behind him. John will come and warn people of their sins that they might prepare for the Savior who's coming to save them from their sins. The sins that were going on in John's day when he came were the same sins that was going on in Malachi's day as he speaks. And quite frankly, the same sins we have going on in our day, even as we gather here to worship. If you look at verse 5 of Malachi 3, you'll see those sins are listed in part. When John comes, he will speak against sorcery or witchcraft or occultism. He will speak against adultery and sexual immorality. He will speak against lying. He will speak against abusing, cheating, stealing, and arrogance. That covers a lot, doesn't it? When John comes, he is going to address those sins just as Malachi was addressing them as he writes this. And then in verse 5, you'll notice it says, I will come near to you to judgment. This is speaking of the fact that when John comes and points out the sins Jesus is going to come. Whosoever will, he will save. And whosoever will not, he will bring judgment to one day. And that judgment will be sudden, it will be swift, it will be strong, and it will be sure. And nobody will escape who's rejected his son Jesus. This morning, I'm going to spend some time talking about the messenger. Next week, we're going to talk about the Messiah. Because Malachi said, behold, he's going to come, the messenger. And behold, behind him is going to come the Messiah. So this morning, we're going to be looking at John the Baptist, the messenger. You have your Bibles, would you now turn them, please, to the second gospel, the gospel of Mark. And we're going to work from here the rest of the time that we have remaining. And Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 2, Mark tells us about the messenger that Malachi said was going to come. As Mark writes this, the messenger has arrived. He has come. Now let's look and see a little bit about him. As it is written in the prophets, says Mark, and then Mark quotes what the prophet said. Behold, I send my messenger before thy face which shall prepare thy way before you. 
the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness, it says in verse 4. And he preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all of the land of Judea and of Jerusalem. And many came and were baptized of him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair and with the girdle of skin about his loins. And he did eat locusts and wild honey. He preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I have indeed baptized you with water, he says in verse 8, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Three things I want to lay on your heart this morning about this man called the messenger, John the Baptist. Malachi said he was coming, and now he has arrived in the Gospel of Mark. I want us to learn some things about him. Because I want you to know he's coming again. John the Baptist is coming again. And once again, he's going to declare to the world, the Messiah is coming. Let's look at verse 2 and 3 as we see, first of all, John the preparer. As it is written in the prophets, notice it's plural, not just in the prophet Malachi, but as it is written in the prophets. Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord. Make the paths straight. John comes on the scene. And as I told you earlier, he has a specific mission. His mission is to prepare the way. For the coming of the Lord. The prophet Isaiah said the messenger was coming to do so. The prophet Malachi amened Isaiah and said the messenger is coming too. And all of a sudden, in the wilderness of Judea along the Jordan River, John the Baptist suddenly appears. Now, John was a bit strange, and that's an understatement, ladies and gentlemen. He was a bit strange in his fashion. The Bible says he didn't wear a three-piece Italian suit. He didn't wear alligator shoes. He didn't have a Rolex, Rolex. <laughs> on his wrist, nor a Rolex. <laughs> He didn't wear a French fedora. Notice how he came. He came in a tunic of camel skin and camel hair. Camel skin, camel hair is coarse, it's rough, it's scratchy. 
And that was his attire. That's what he dressed in. That was his fashion. He wore that on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then guess what? He started the next week with the same thing. He looked like a caveman, quite frankly. He was unusual not only in his fashion, but he was unusual in his food. For breakfast, lunch, and supper, he had the same menu. There was no golden arches to go to in the desert. What did he have? He had locusts and wild honey. The locusts were the protein, the wild honey was the carbs. He had a balanced diet. He ate the cereal of a prophet. Honey nut grasshoppers, you might say. He was unusual in his fashion. He was unusual in his food. He was unusual in his face. He was a Nazarite. His hair had never been cut since the day he was born. His beard had never been shaven or cut since the day he was born. Can you imagine how he looked? Kind of a cross between ZZ Top and Duck Dynasty. I mean, he was unusual. And he goes to the Judean desert, not far from the Jordan River, and he begins to preach. And word gets out of this novelty of this unusual man who preaches in a way that nobody ever preached like in that day, who looked like nobody ever looked like in that day. He was unusual and different, and they came to see him, and they came to hear him. That's what it says in verse 2 when it says, I send my messenger before thy face. That phrase, before thy face, means when God sends the messenger, John the Baptist, there's going to be something about him that draws people to see him. That draws people to hear him. He's not going to be missed. And he wasn't. Hundreds upon thousands upon tens of thousands of people went out to see him to hear him, and that's what God wanted. And when they came and they saw him, and when they came and they heard him, he had a purpose in what he said to them. The purpose is found in verse 2 and 3. Look, it says twice, he has come to prepare the way. Verse 2, he came to prepare the way. Verse 3, he comes to prepare the way. This man that was so unusual, but yet he had an energy and a magnetism that drew people because he looked different and he eat different and he preached different. He came to prepare the way. 
That, that phrase, prepare the way, if I could show you a picture of it, it would show servants going ahead of a king. The king is in a royal entourage. He's got servants, he's got soldiers, he's got other leadership with him. And up ahead of him, maybe two or three hundred yards ahead of this king and his entourage, there's another group of servants. And they're traveling down the road that's ahead of the king. When they see a rock, they pick it up and throw it to the side. When they see debris, they pull and push the debris off the road. If they see a dead animal lying there, they move the dead animal to the side. If there's trash in the road, they get rid of the trash. If there's protesters or crowds there that they don't want there, they move them out of the way. They're moving everything out of the way that the king can pass on smooth ground. And that was the purpose of John the Baptist. To bring people to see him. To bring people to hear him. And in doing so, he is going to prepare the way for the king. He's going to get rid of debris. He's going to get rid of junk. He's going to get rid of trash. He's going to get rid of dead carcasses. He's going to get rid of undesirables. He's going to make the coming of the king smooth. Now I know what you're thinking. What is this junk you're talking about, Pastor? What is this debris? What is this trash? What is this undesirable stuff that John the Baptist is going to get out of the way so the King Jesus can pass? It's called sin. There weren't much preaching on sin when John came. Why? Because the secularists in John's day decided they would redefine sin. You know, we do that today, don't we? That's a black cat, but we don't want the cat to be black. We want it to be green. So we just say it's green. Black now becomes green. But you say it's still black. You're right, but now they call it green. And that's what they were doing with sin in that day. Oh, they were very clever, these secularists. Addictions were now called disease. Fornication is now called a benefit. Cursing is a colorful expression. Pornography is exotic art. Mayhem, destruction of property, loss of life. Well, we're just sticking it to the man. Homosexuality and bisexuality is now a gay lifestyle. Abortion, well, that's just a surgical procedure. Gossip, well, that's just sharing. Oh, the secularists were clever. And John comes before him and he says, Sin is sin! If you're going to be saved from your sin, you better understand what your sin is. That was John's message to the secularist. You can call it whatever you want. God calls it sin. And if you're going to be saved from it, you better understand that. And then he also had to deal with the religionist of his day. 
because what they were doing was justifying sin. There were actually preachers in that day justifying sin. Kind of sounds like our day too, doesn't it? Oh, they used nice terms. They talked about liberty and freedom in Christ. Oh, we like that, don't we? They talked about moderation and tolerance. They talked about weakness. They talked about love. They talked about grace and mercy. Oh, they used all the terminology to justify sin. They lowered the bar of holiness to ground level because they wanted to have a big crowd. And John came to take them on too. You can justify it all you want, but God doesn't justify it. And if you persist in it, you will face justice. You can change the name all you want, but sin is still sin. A rose by any other name is still a rose. And John came and he took on sin. He came to prepare the way, to get the junk out of the way for Jesus who's coming right behind him. Secondly, I want you to see in verse 4, not just John the preparer, but I want you to see John the proclaimer. When these folks went out to the wilderness, they came to see a man that looked unusual, talked unusual, eat unusual, lived unusual. He was a novelty. And everybody wanted to hear what he had to say and he talked to them about preparing the way. He addressed their sin. Verse 4, we get a picture of his proclamation. John the preparer, now John the proclaimer. Look at verse 4. And John did baptize in the wilderness. And he preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sin. Sin was the junk that was in the way. The way that that sin is going to be moved out of the way is repentance. When you truly repent of sin, it's not only moved out of the way, but that sin is forgotten. It's blotted out. It no longer exists. And then you can be a candidate for baptism. That's what he's saying. Think about the word repentance. When's the last time that you've heard a preacher preach on repentance? Don't hear many messages on that anymore. But the Bible clearly teaches if there's no repentance, there's no salvation. You say, that's just your opinion. No, it's not. My opinion is Jesus' opinion. It was Jesus Christ who said, lest you repent, you will perish. No stutter, no stammer, no mumbling, no bumbling. Lest you repent of your sin, you will perish. That's why John's message 
was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. John preached repentance. Jesus preached repentance. What is repentance? It's a change of mind that leads to a change of mouth that leads to a change of mannerisms. It's not just a change of mind about sin. It's a change of what comes out of your mouth about sin. And how you live your life, your mannerisms toward that sin. When God saves us, He doesn't save us to stay in sin. He saves us to come out of sin. Do you know that faith and repentance are the flip side of the same coin? We hear a lot about put your faith in Jesus and you can be saved. But we need to also add, when you turn to face Jesus, you're turning away from something to turn to Him. If I'm looking this way, and I'm going to turn and face that glass over there, that window, then I obviously have to turn from there to look here. And when salvation occurs in your life, you turn from sin as you turn to Jesus. When you turn from sin, that's repentance. When you turn to Jesus, that's faith. And you can't have one without the other. We've got a generation of people who claim to be saved, and yet they live like the devil. And they have no burden about it. They have no bother about it. And if you say anything to it, they'll say, well, I'm a Baptist. Or I'm a Catholic. Who cares? You better be a born-again Christian. Repentance. John preached repentance. That's how you clear the way for the next thing, which is remission. Do you see the word remission there in verse 4? Remission means to have your sins blotted out. To have your sins erased. When I do a, the first drafts of my sermon, I do them in pencil. You know why? Because I make a lot of mistakes and i got to do some erasing. If I do them in pen, I make a mess. So in by writing in pencil, you can erase, blow off the eraser, start again. And that's what remission of sin is. When you repent, turn from sin, put your faith in Christ, you're born again, you're saved. What happens to your sin? God erases those sins and blows them away. He makes us clean, He makes us whole, and then washes away our sins into the sea of forgetfulness where He remembers them no more. Remission. Sins paid in full, fully, freely, forever, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. So when you repent, turn from sin, put your faith in Christ, your sins are forgiven. Now, the devil accuses us of sins of the past, but you have no sins of the past. When God saves you, he covers all those sins. So don't let the devil make you feel guilty. If any man be in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. 
Past has been forgiven, forgotten forever. Amen. You got a new life. And when you repent and your sins are forgiven, what would John do then after you responded to his message? What would he do with you? He baptized you. Somebody asked me one time, was John the first Baptist? No. <laughs> but he was a baptizer. He baptized people in the Jordan River. They came by the hundreds and by the thousands. They responded to his message. And he said, if you're serious about this, you need to be baptized. And he baptized them. He baptized Jews, but mostly Gentiles, which was unheard of in that day. He baptized them in the Jordan River, which is a dirty, nasty river, by the way. It's only about 10 feet deep at the at the widest point, about 100 feet wide. But he baptized them, not because baptism saves you. It doesn't save you. It doesn't add nor complete your salvation. Jesus saves. But baptism is a public testimony of what Jesus did for you. And he baptized by immersion. And he baptized that you would be obedient to the Lord. So John came as the messenger that Malachi said he would be, Isaiah said he would be. He came to be noticed by the people. And they came and noticed him because he was so different. And when they came and he had their attention, he preached about sin. Call for repentance. That sin could be forgiven and you could be baptized. And live a new life before people. He was a preparer. He was a proclaimer. And then lastly in verse 7, he was a preacher. John the preacher. Notice it says, and he preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me. I'm just the messenger. I'm just the servant going ahead of the royal entourage. I'm cleaning out the road so the king can be on a smooth highway. And I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to stoop down and unloose the latchet of his shoes. I have baptized you with water, but the one that is coming behind me will baptize you with the Holy Ghost. When John came, he preached Jesus. Everything he said was about the king who was coming. Remember his message, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand? How can you have a kingdom without having a what? King, you got to have a king. And so when he talks about the kingdom, he's talking about the king who's coming with the kingdom. Notice his humility. John was one of the greatest preachers who's ever lived. But he was a very humble man. He said, I am not worthy to touch the dirty shoes of the one who's coming behind me. 
Let me talk to you a little bit about the roads of that day. Most of the time they were dirt roads. Most of the time the dirt roads of that day contained sewage, whether it be animal sewage or human sewage or both. They didn't have sanitation systems like we got. So many times human and animal waste was in the road. On top of that, you had dead animals that would die, and oftentimes they would just rot there in the sun, in the road, in the streets where people walked. Trash oftentimes was thrown in the street, in the roads. And people walked in sandals on those dirty, nasty, filthy streets of human animal waste, trash, debris, and dead carcasses. That's why when they came into your house to visit, what was the custom to do? Wash their what? Feet. So they wouldn't bring all of that into your living room. If they took a nap on your couch, it wouldn't be on your couch. That was the purpose of washing the feet. And John says when Jesus comes, I'm not even worthy to touch the sandals of his feet that have walked on the nasty, filthy, dirty roads of this place we call Israel. I'm not even worthy to do that. That's how great he is. What humility. It was never about John the Baptist. He said, I must decrease, he must increase. And he also preached not only with humility, he understood who he was, what he was called to do, but he preached with understanding. Notice he says in verse 8, I can baptize you with water. I can get you wet. <laughs> but there's another coming right behind me, and he will baptize you with the power of the Spirit of God. You know what John is saying? I'm but a man. That's all I am. The one who's coming behind me is God. He's God. He has the power to do what I cannot do. He can transform your life. Because He will baptize you with the power of a spirit that's transforming. I can get you wet. But goodness gracious what He can do. He can save you. He can change you. He can transform you. He can make you clean and make you whole. What a picture of this messenger. You say, Pastor, but he's already come, hasn't he? He has. But he's coming again. Oh, the king is coming again too. But before the king comes a second time, there will be more John the Baptists who will come. And they will prepare whosoever will listen for what's about to take place. By the way, in verses 9 through 11, just as a throw-in, I'm not going to charge you for this, so relax. But here you see a picture of the Trinity. The Trinity is not something preached on anymore either. In fact, some prominent TV preachers don't even believe in it. 
And I'm telling you this, listen to your pastor. If you don't believe in the Trinity, you can't be saved. Because what the Trinity says is, there is a God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God is one God, but three persons. The Trinity implies that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He had to be God, or His sacrifice on the cross would not count for us. Because the Lamb of God who died for our sins had to be perfect. If Jesus was anything but God, His sacrifice would not be a perfect one. And we would still be in our sin and we would die in our sin. Notice it says in verse 9 through 11, Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan, verse 9. And as He was being baptized, it says a dove came flying down from heaven. And the Bible clearly says that dove was the Spirit of God. And it it landed on Jesus' shoulder, perhaps. And then God the Father spoke from heaven in verse 11. You say, how do you know it's God the Father? Because He says, you are my beloved Son. You don't have to be smart to understand the Bible, just believe it. The Holy Trinity... Jesus, God the Son, the Spirit, God the Spirit, the Father, God the Father. Wow. But let's close. Jesus is coming again. This one who came before John the Baptist, or came after John the Baptist, This one who came to be a savior, to save whosoever would come to him. He's coming again. He's not coming again, ladies and gentlemen, as a savior. He's coming as judge. No longer will it be whosoever will come and be saved. It will be whosoever has not come will be judged. And God is preparing the nations of the world and the people of the world for His Son's coming. The spirit of Elijah, the spirit of John the Baptist, who came in the spirit of Elijah, is now the spirit that is preparing whosoever will listen. Preachers today who preach on the second coming of Christ have the spirit of John the Baptist in them. They're telling the people He's coming again. You may not think He's coming again. You may not care if He's coming again. But you will when He comes. And suddenly and swiftly and strongly and surely, one day He's going to be here. And we'll all be caught off guard who aren't ready. So preachers today are preparing you for this. If they're faithful. In Revelation chapter 7, 144,000 Jewish evangelists are going to sweep the world one day. And they're going to tell all the nations of the world and all the people of the world, He's coming! You better get ready. He's coming. In Revelation chapter 11, two witnesses will go to Jerusalem. And they will announce to the nation of Israel and to the Jewish people, He's coming. 
This Antichrist is not him. Don't you be duped. He's coming. Do something about your sin. He's coming. Revelation chapter 14, an angel will come. As Keith so wisely said, angels don't understand salvation because they can't be saved. But that angel in Revelation 14 will preach, He's coming. He'll cover the world with one sermon. He's coming. You see, God's preparing those who will listen. He's saying, do something with your sin. Repent of your sin that it can be put in remission. Be baptized. Tell the world that you're a follower of Jesus. Because He's coming. And when He comes, it's over. Revelation 19, He will come as a judge. And woe and behold to those who have said no to Him. Heads are bowed and eyes.